When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is the John Lester-related podcast. Oh, hold on a second. I'm checking my notes here. Oh, no, that is not the name of the podcast. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on a glorious Sunday evening. You are likely hearing us on what should still be a glorious Monday morning after the Cubs begin the second half with a sweep of Clint Hurdle and his evil Pittsburgh Pirates. The second half is off and running, so we have three games, of course, to break down for you. We have some injury updates, and we will catch you up on all things Chicago Cubs as they get things started on Friday afternoon and take care of business, as Joe Madden's teams have always done to start this second half. And like I alluded to in the opener there, I, I petitioned Brendan to just outright change the name of the podcast to the John Lester related podcast but in in fairness he brought up that that might be a little limiting as as far as the the content is concerned so it was poor for SEO too right so you gotta look out for the best of the podcast but you know every now and then we can change the name yeah so that's where we're gonna start Brendan I I think if you have listened to this podcast for one episode for a year for the three and a half years that we've been doing this has it been three and a half yeah it's been three something like that crazy wow if you've listened to us at all and you expected this podcast to start with anything other than what John Lester did on Saturday, I don't think you've been listening very closely because that is definitely where we're starting. And Brendan, I will bring you in here. What were your feelings on John Lester Day, which I think we're going to remember July 13th, 2019, (laughs) just John Lester Day at Wrigley Field? 
Well, I was mostly concerned about you. I'm not going to lie. When Lester hit that oppo fly ball and it was kind of carrying out, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, Corey, just stay, you know, keep breathing, stay alive here. When that ball went out, I was, I was worried about you. I thought maybe you would have passed out. We got tweets at me asking about you. I was genuinely concerned about you. But Lester, man, like that swing, that swing is so natural. Like even Daniel Descalso probably wished he had that swing. No doubt. And just to recap that for you, John Lester pitches a quality start. He picks up his ninth win of the season, going six and two-thirds, allowing three earned runs. He does not walk anyone, and he strikes out six. His ERA on the season sits at 3.74. And at the plate... Ya boy, John Lester, number 34, <laughs> goes two for three. He scores two runs. He drives in three runs, and he hits an opposite field home run. He also runs the bases like a champ in this game. There's video footage of it. You can check it out. He's but as I've said a million times, John Lester is an all-around athlete. He's hitting bombs. He had another hit in this game. He's running the bases, scoring runs, and In the meantime, when he's not so busy carrying this offense, he's pitching a quality start, picking up his ninth win of the year. That's That's just who he is. is. This is just John Lester doing John Lester things. And we were joking, and and you compiled this list on CubsInsider.com, but John Lester's overall offensive numbers are better than some really big names in in Major League Baseball. And obviously, like super obviously, this is a very small sample size. But John Lester's got a 774 OPS. Mm. Like that's Mm. that's pretty good. That's insane. That's insane. I mean, just like reading off this list right now, currently he has better numbers than Starling Marte, Josh Reddick, Eric Hosmer, Miguel Cabrera, Paul Goldschmidt, Elvis Andrews, Andrew Benatendi, and the list goes on and on, Corey. Now, I'm not saying, like, look, yeah, small sample size, 28 plate appearances, but he's thrown over 100 innings. That's that's valuable right there, Corey. Multi-positional player, all-around athlete. That's who John Lester is. Yeah, and I, I think when we're comparing these guys, we're talking WRC+, Plus, which I believe are, yeah. John's is at 107. So we, yes, we always is, talk yes. about WRC+, Plus, 100 being league average, above, better, below, worse, 107. So he's pretty, you know, decidedly an above league average hitter right now. So I don't know what more there is to say. It, it, I, I've been preaching this gospel for a very <laughs> long time, and Saturday in this Pirate Series is one of those days where I think uh, anybody who doubted John Lester or doubted me constantly talking about John Lester. You see what I'm talking about. The guy does it on offense, on the mound, whatever you need him to do. Now, he will not field a slow roller to the mound. Don't bother. It's not going to happen, but that's just part of the game. No, no, he will. You know, he'll get it, but he'll sprint over there because he's so fast and just throw his glove to Rizzo. And he's 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 creative like that too. Kind well, of like I meant no, I meant to his right side. Usually he just leaves oh. those and kind of looks at Wilson like, "Come on, well that's <laughs> you, smart you to go do. get this." I mean, I'd be doing the same thing. Yeah, he's, he's intelligent too. We're forgetting that as well. He doesn't Very have instinctual the time player. for that. He's busy doing all this other stuff. <laughs> There's just no time for this. He can't do everything, you guys. Right. So, but Corey, well, hold on. What, what were you doing though? Seriously, when that ball went over the fence, like, like what was your first reaction? Where were you? What were you doing? I I think there's like that that 
gif of the cartoon of the Grinch where he has that like evil, <laughs> like maniacal smile that I I would say is pretty close to what my reaction was. So like no audible, like loud F yes. I was just more like a, a silent, shocking type moment. Was it, that uh, what it's that was? more of like an evil laugh, like, okay. you know, kind it's of like a, this is happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, there's not, not, not necessarily a lot of yelling, but I, I'm very happy for him and it it we we kind of joke about it but it really is quite the transition that he's undergone from someone that took i think it was like 60 plus at bats before his first hit oh for 66 yes yeah. and he looks really good at the plate he he takes pitches he has a good eye up there and he's got a pretty swing he really does i i tweeted at him i'm i'm still awaiting the reply we'll see if he gets back to me but I, I, you know, I said, like, I'm not, I wouldn't hate if, you know, you hopped in that 2020 home run derby. I think we need <laughs> Vladito and John Lester squaring off in the final round. I know Pete Alonso won, but he didn't really win. So uh, I want yeah, doesn't count, Vlad no. Jr. and John Lester squaring off. I don't know if John can hit, what was it, 93 home runs in a round. I don't, I, I'm not sure about that. That <laughs> He might need a little more BP to, like, build up the stamina for that, but I, I think he can pull it off. He's got the swing to do it. And there's also something so beautiful about all of his home runs being opposite field home runs. It's They're, natural opposite field yeah, power core. You cannot that teach power. that power. Yeah. You can't teach what John Lester can't does. Do he's it. just that guy. And that's really all I have to say about it. Um, he has a better WRC plus than Paul Goldschmidt. So you made the wrong move, St. Louis, uh, but I hope you're happy. That's just how it is. But let's break down these these three games with the Pirates and uh, talk about a very good start to the second half. I think a start to the second half that looked a lot like what we were all asking for from this team. Just clean things up and, and play the brand of baseball that this group and this talent level should be able to produce. And I think we saw that this weekend with uh, the series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. On Friday, the Cubs winning 4-3. to three. A, a little late drama there as Pedro Strope uh, does give up a game-tying home run to Starling Marte in the top of the eighth inning as the Cubs led 3 to nothing. That 3 to nothing lead coming on Chris Bryant's 18th homer of the year, a Robel Garcia sack fly, and a David Bodie bases loaded walk. Again, then Strope does give up the three-run home run, but as you all know, uh, one of the key rules of the Cubs-related podcast is that Pedro Strope slander is not tolerated on this podcast, so Never uh, he had a bad outing, like most it relievers happens. do all the time. It happens. But it was Jason Hayward, who we will be talking about later in this podcast, who stays red hot in the 2019 season. He delivers the game-winning single to score a very fast Chris Bryant, who's Quick legs and base running was on display all weekend here at Wrigley Field. Again, 4-3 to three the final. Craig Kimball comes in and is filthy in this game to lock down his third save of the season. On Saturday, it was John Lester Day, as it will be forever known, July 13th. Put it in your calendar for the rest of your life. Okay, doing it right now. It's, yep. it's just John Lester Day. That's just what we're going with. And again, we went through Lester's line, the Cubs also getting Homer, a homer from Wilson Contreras, his 19th of the season. Again, Lester picks up the W. The Cubs had a big first inning. They were up seven to nothing by the time the first inning ended. Jordan Lyles, who started this game for the Pittsburgh Pirates, only records two outs in this game. So that was one of those performances that kind of reeked of that 
2016 relentless Cubs offense where you if you were a starting pitcher at Wrigley Field against this group you were going to be in the showers pretty early I bottom of the first is extremely early but it was not a a long day for Jordan Lyles out on the mound Rizzo an RBI single the Contreras three-run home run John Lester had a two RBI single in that first inning and a Javi Baez double the Cubs get their eighth run in the third on the John Lester home run Addison Russell drives in two with a single in the fourth, and then the rest of the scoring is stuff from the Pittsburgh Pirates that nobody cares about, so I'm not going to read that. Ten to four, the final, Lester the win, Lyles the loss. And then on Sunday, the Cubs, with a little bit of a comeback here, they took a one to nothing lead early in this game on a Robo Garcia double. He continues to provide, I think, exactly that spark that all of us were looking for when we were talking about whether the Cubs should call him up or not. You're getting a lot of Ks, but he's putting the ball in play and very hard a lot. So that has been a welcome addition. Jose Quintana has a rough top of the third where he gives up three runs on a few hits to the Pirates, but he really settles in after that. He also, in the bottom of the fourth, gets the Cubs closer with an RBI single. Bottom of the fifth, the Cubs take the lead and they take it for good. Victor Caratini with a sack fly to tie this game. Victor Caratini continues to have a very impressive 2019 season as the Cubs backup catcher. Jason Hayward with his 15th home run to make it 5-3, to three, scoring Anthony Rizzo. In the bottom of the sixth, it was homer time. And as Pat and Ron Santo used to scream about on the radio when they, they were doing those broadcasts together, we got back-to-back jacks, Brendan. And they came on back-to-back pitches. Albert Almora with his first career pinch hit home run. He did, something to note, he did have the high socks today, so... Does that be, immediate, every yep every game going forward high socks that's the, how it works right does that immediately translate to power and better performance anecdotally yes and I think that that is going to be a scientific fact we're going to push here on the Cubs related podcast I mean Schwarber socks were high the back to back combo right there both high of whom had high socks power. so it's just how it works yep that you can't you can't dispute the facts Brendan nope. But Kyle Schwarber, that was Almora's ninth home run of the season. Kyle Schwarber followed immediately on the next pitch with a pretty classic Kyle Schwarber, just no doubt shot uh, a Pat Hughes get out the tape measure long gone (laughs) type of home run. That is Kyle's 19th of the year. And then Rizzo would add a sacrifice fly in the inning to bring us to our final score of eight to three. The final line on Jose Quintana, another quality start. Six innings, six hits, three earned, two walks, and four strikeouts. Jose picks up his seventh win of the season here. And because I was so focused on John Lester Day and the how the Cubs ended up winning that game, I forgot to read Hugh Darvish's line on Friday, which is extremely burying the lead of me. Uh, Darvish was really good on Friday and really deserved to not take a no decision in this one, which is kind of his thing. Uh, but he deserved the win. He just doesn't get it. The offense scored the inning after he had left the game, which is about as typical as baseball gets, as it, as it often does. Uh, but Darvish goes six innings. He, he allows just two hits, no earned runs. He only walks one batter, and he strikes out eight. He was really, really good in this game. And afterward, Brendan, and I, I suppose we can just transition here because sure. this was... I've already gone through the the list of games here. Again, the final on Sunday was eight to three. The Cubs sweep the Pittsburgh Pirates, and we'll have some some more I think general reactions to the series. But since we're talking about Darvish here already, 
he, you know, we, as we were coming out of the All-Star break, you know, we're kind of thinking like, okay, Darvish starting the first game, you've, you've struggled into the break here, you're, you're trying to reset things and, and come out strong in this second half. And, you know, just given the up and down performance at times, Darvish being on the hill presented somewhat of an interesting way to start the second half, right? I mean, that's one way of saying it. Like, look, you want some type of consistency to start the second half. Like, I did not want Darvish out there, not because I don't like Dar- or dislike Darvish, but Lester was pitching the next day, and he has a track record. He wanted that consistent guy on the mound to start the second half. He actually wanted the ball. He went to exactly. Joe Madden and said, I want the ball. I have not done enough for the team and for myself since being in Chicago and pitching at Wrigley Field. I want the ball to start the second half, and I want to be the one that gets this going, you know, to to start this new portion of the season. And man, that is exactly what he did. He came out and he shoved. This was a really, really good start. He was all over. You know, we talk about the pitching ninja all the time. Uh, Rob Friedman, who does these fantastic gifts and overlays to kind of educate on the art of pitching, if you will. He was all over it because he was just spinning some absolute filth to these yeah. Pirates hitters, getting some really silly-looking swings, especially on those breaking balls that were breaking down and into left-handed hitters. Just some nasty-looking sliders coming out of the arm of Yu Darvish. He mixed several pitches really well in this game. He just looked really good, Brendan. And we've talked about before you know, seeing that outing at Dodger Stadium and wanting him to build on it. And I, in when we were on the, the pitching portion of that first half review, I said, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm going to take it on a start-by-start basis. I, I, I'm just going to see what happens and react that way rather than really hoping or setting my expectations on you, Darvish. But this is one of those starts that makes it hard to do that. This is one of those starts where you watch it and you dream of him building on this start and being that guy because his command was there. He only walks the one batter. There were not a lot of well-struck balls against him. It was just a really good start. And we've said time and time again, if he can be anything close to this guy on a regular basis, it is an immense a a total game changer for this Cubs rotation because you just look at this entire pitching staff in a completely different light if this is the U Darvish you're getting on a regular basis. No doubt. We we, we talked about this too as his progression throughout the year. When he first made his debut this season, he was throwing mostly fastballs, cutters, sliders, and then most of those fastballs, poor command. Most of them are just outside the zone completely. But as the season has gone along, he's tightening up that fastball command and he's throwing more secondary pitches to go along with that. Not to the level that you wanted to see in the early parts of even June and through early parts of July, but in that last star, Corey, that was his best, I think his best outing as a Cub. He was throwing all of his pitches for the first time, I think, in his career as a Cub, throwing four-seamers, sinkers, cutters, curves, sliders, change-ups, splitters. He has like almost 10 different types of pitches. He was showcasing all of them. And since uh, April... His entire pitch repertoire has been different. In April, he was throwing mostly four-seamers and cutters and sliders, like I said. But in July, he's throwing only 17% sliders. That's under half of what he was throwing before. And he's mostly throwing sinkers and cutters and sliders. So it's a lot different from his norm in May and in April. Not only that, though, he's throwing way more splitters and way more curveballs. His splitter rate right now, almost 8%, Corey. He did not throw one splitter in April. Not one. He threw one splitter in May. 
Okay, this is a, a complete changeup from what he was throwing in the first two months of this season. And I think the reason I'm so excited about Darvish now, because I said early on, I want to see a better fastball command. Well, he's done that. Now he's tightening that up. The second part I wanted to see was limiting those grooved pitches down the zone or limiting those meatballs right down the middle, which was three times higher than his normal rate. Well, what is he doing to combat that? He's not throwing as many four-seamers anymore. He's throwing way more sinkers. And now he's having a more diverse pitch repertoire. I don't know if that's improving his command or keeping batters off their toes, but you're seeing some of the effects of that. So like you, yeah, I want to see him build off this more, but I'm more confident that we're beyond maybe a building start where now this is kind of who Darvish is. He's a guy who's going to go out there throw six to eight different pitches, command most of them. He's going to have some of his command issues and get a ton of whiffs because he's throwing 95 and 98 with a slider. That's the best slider in professional baseball for a starting pitcher, Corey. And then he goes in and he throws 65 to 75 mile per hour curveballs and splitters and changeups. You cannot dispute what type of guy or what type of stuff this guy has. And when he's on point and commanding, he, he's he's the nastiest pitcher on this Cubs team. I like just from a pure stuff point of view. No one has a type of stuff in the league that Darvish showcases. And in that start against Pittsburgh, you saw it for the first time in his Cubs uniform. You saw Darvish control every one of his pitches very beautifully. So I'm pumped, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. And he was mostly efficient in this game too. He goes the six innings on only 94 pitches. He throws 62 of those pitches for strikes. So this was there, you know, there's, there's no two ways about it. This was a really good start from you, Darvish. And again, just one that you, you hope he can continue to build on. And he's been trending in the right direction. And you just got to hope that, that, you know, that starts like this are what get him really locked in and going here down the stretch. But I think there really is something to him wanting the ball, going out there and performing like that. And the team not getting him the win, but backing up him up in the regard that the team overall gets the W, that they have that good day, they start the second half exactly how they want, and he played a big role in that. So you just want to see that continue going forward. But kind of on the whole, Brendan, I, I do just, I feel compelled to point out that this is, we talked when the Cubs and Pirates played in Pittsburgh and there was the Joe Madden, I'm headed over to the Pittsburgh Pirates dugout Which thing. Which we loved, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about his quotes afterward where he said he was really looking forward to this series and that the Pirates, you know, had probably better consider continuing to throw up and in at these guys and we'll see what happens. And this is this was a good example of what Joe Madden and these Chicago Cubs, since he's been here in, in 2015, have how they've handled situations like this. This is how they want these things to play out. You guys can be sitting there throwing up and in, hitting batters, starting these fights, which again, the Pirates do not just with the Cubs, with almost everybody. They lead the league by a mile in people hit since I think it was 2015 or 2016. I saw some list on the MLB network, but this is something that they do. And this is how the Cubs prefer this situation to play out. You keep doing that. We're going to sweep you out of Chicago and worry about winning the division while you're a few games under 500, right? They they leave Wrigley Field four games under 500. So Clint Hurdle, Pittsburgh, see ya. Get out of here. 
whenever you have to come back, come back. But otherwise, you can stay out of the city of Chicago because y'all are trash and <laughs> you belong in the trash. That, that's really what it is. You belong in the bottom of the NL Central, which is where I, you know, I, I hope that in. they end up at the end of the year. But this is what the Cubs want to do. They, they don't want to come here to Wrigley Field and start brawls and get into these back and forth you know, beaning situations and all that. They want to come to Chicago, pick up three W's, and send you packing on their way, which is exactly what they did in these last two games in pretty definitive fashion. Like the, the game on Friday, three to nothing going into that eighth. Obviously, Stroke gives up the home run to Marte, but the Cubs get the win anyway. Saturday and Sunday were pretty blowouts. easy. Yeah, pretty easy They're wins. Blowouts. The Cubs yeah. put up 10 runs on Saturday, eight runs on Sunday, and you run them out of town. That's exactly how the Cubs want this to play out. That is the best form of retaliation, Brendan. But the Cubs do, they kind of subtly, like, almost give them the middle finger in in a weird way. Like Javi Baez, there was one at bat, I believe in his second game, and Sahad Sharma even pointed this out, where Javi gets an up-and-in fastball, and I'm watching the game, I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, like you can tell Javi's pissed off here. The very next pitch, he crushes a slider for a base hit. I think it was like 112 miles per hour off the bat. And he throws his bat towards Pittsburgh's dugout and like looks over at them. And I'm thinking to myself, was that intentional? And then Sahadev brought that up. And apparently it was. So the Cubs are going to retaliate in their own way. But even that series where they swept them, they were still throwing, in my opinion, too many fastballs up and in. Yeah. Still didn't like it. They swept them, yes. But KB got thrown up and in twice in that last game. Javi got thrown up and in, I feel like, at least three times. Rizzo, of course, every single lot bad, I feel like, is still an issue with Pittsburgh. And Clint Hurdle is still Clint Hurdle. He's a disgusting manager. He's a dirt Hate bag. the guy. Yeah. And yeah, he's a scumbag. They're not going to charge the mound. I said that on Twitter. Get a little heated up in the moment, but they're not, they're not going to do that usually. They handle their business by beating you into the ground. And when they do have an issue, they'll let you know. Anthony Rizzo will run over to the dugout. He'll scream at you. He'll throw your hat. He'll get in Chapman's face like he did in Cincinnati that one year. And that's how the Cubs handle it. Rizzo talked about this too, where he was saying, I think before this series, like, look, we all understand, like, you throw up and in, then you pitch low and away. You're changing eye levels. You're making it harder on these guys because they're seeing a 95 mile on a fastball at their face that obviously makes it harder for someone like Javi Baez to lay off a slider that's low and in the dirt the other way but Rizzo was saying like at some point the MLB is going to need to step in here because like you no understand doubt. the general strategy but it's it, it's not in a lot of times being executed in a safe manner and it's very hard to execute in a safe manner so if people are allowed to just buzz guys at the head over and over and over again eventually push comes to shove, right? Either you need the MLB to figure out a way to like calm that down from certain teams or the people like the Cubs are going to get pissed. And and again, you said- And they have every right to be pissed. Right. Whether or not the intention is there, it doesn't matter. Right. Like you got to get these pitchers under control. If you miss your spot by three inches, guess what? Chris Bryant gets hit in the head again. Or David guess Bode what? gets Jason hit in the Hayward head again. breaks like his he jaw did. again. That yeah. can't happen. Right. Yeah, so that's where that is. Again, anyway, see you, Pittsburgh. You're in the dustpan. You got swept up. You're out of here. We'll see you next time whenever we have to deal with them again. But all in all, a very good series. And like I was saying, I think this is exactly what we were hoping from out of this team coming out of the break. And I know that 
it's it's not necessarily one where you want to be when we're at the all-star break and we're starting the series going well you know Joe Madden's teams and these Chicago Cubs perform in the second half right because ultimately you don't always want to just rely that that's going to happen because sometimes factors out of your control don't really just keep the ball in your court like that. But the division was where it was. The Cubs, you know, come out into this second half in first place. And I thought from a visual perspective and checking in with other people watching this closely and and everyone on Twitter and, and writing articles and stuff, this was just such a cleaner series from this group. The base running was crisp. They were taking those extra base yeah. runs. The the defense was great all weekend. Uh, you know, like we mentioned, Hayward making diving plays, Javi and Russell turning an insane double play to end Saturday's game, Robel getting on the, the double play game. Just really good, clean defense from this group. The the base running was was like we become accustomed to with this team where they're just taking every single extra base every time that they can. The offense was coming through you know, they don't score less than four runs in this entire series. Two of the games, you score eight plus runs. You get a quality start from all three pitchers this weekend. This is, I think, what I and others meant when we said, I just believe the talent level of this team as currently constructed, not even talking about the trade deadline or any other moves they might make. This team just should be better than being under 500 for a month plus. Just on pure talent alone, if they just play clean, good baseball, these are the types of results that I think you should be getting. And we saw it from really everybody this weekend. You know, you have a a lot of guys getting in the home run game. You have some big performances out of a lot of these guys in the bullpen. Again, you have Q with a quality start, Lester quality start, Darvish quality start. You, You saw it really from all facets of this team. And it, I, I really don't think that we could have asked for them to start the second half in a better way. And and Hayward was alluding to that. I think it was after Saturday's game, maybe, but it might've been after Sunday's game where he was just like, this is what we wanted to do. This is what we we, we needed to do. We we knew that when we took the field for this second half, that there, there wasn't any more time to be messing around. The, the, the division was right there on a platter for us, and we needed to show up, clean it up, and and take it. And, and that's what it looked like they did, uh, at least through these first three games, Brendan. Yeah, and Hayward said, quote, we're always in the game, and we need to remember that. We can't get too down. We can't let things get away from us. We can't get sloppy. Don't take a break because it's right there for us to take. Today, which was Sunday's game, was a good example of that. That was kind of the hallmark of that series, where even in that Sunday game, they go down 3-1. to one. Q gets hit hard in that third inning, and they rebound. Q rebounds. He gets the quality start. He locates his pitches, locates that fastball, and rebounds. But I think, too, the Cubs executed their game, and they didn't do that a lot for long stretches in the first half. What I mean by that is, for example, Schwarber. Madden was talking about Schwarber in the first game, how he wants his leadoff hitter, who Schwarber is basically every single game now, to to take his pitches, not necessarily go out there and just take pitches for the sake of taking pitches, but literally just go up there and let them get you out in the zone. And so what did we see in that second game where they put up seven runs in the first inning? Schwarber walked. He walked twice. Schwarber walked twice before the Cubs even you know batted around for the third time. They got seven runs off of that. And then in that Sunday game, he walks again. The very next uh, at-bat, after Amora hits a homer, first pitch, crushes a home run. And not only that, too, on two strikes, they're going to the opposite field. Rizzo had several hits to the opposite field. And then Caratini following up Rizzo, 
two strikes, line drive, left field, opposite field base hit. So they're doing everything they, they set their minds to in that first half, where they're still slugging, and they're going to the opposite field, playing crisp defense, going first to third, making smart base running decisions, and that is what is going to ultimately pr- propel the Cubs to take the division, to not you know get rid of those opportunities where they did a lot in the first half where they should have won some of these games, some of these close run games. And it was one or two mistakes that really halted their progression. And at least in this first three games, whether it's well rest, whether it's just a different you know, philosophical shift, like Hayward was talking about, being tighter, not getting too down. But if the Cubs keep doing this, the division's right there. They're two and a half games up. Milwaukee continues to play poorly. They continue to have pitching problems. St. Louis is not really taking advantage of the opportunities that they're given. And Pittsburgh's going down, right? So I never let myself believe that the Cubs could run away th- with the division, even in August, just because it was so hard to envision the Cubs playing long, consistent baseball during their tough uh, stretch. But it's right there for the taking, man. In three weeks, the Cubs could be six, seven games up, and it's not an insane possibility to think about. They just need to keep playing clean, crisp baseball, like Madden said, like Hayward said. And in three weeks, we could be talking about this team in a completely different light and looking ahead, not as a sense of urgency, but protecting the depth and the health and the longevity of this team for an October run. I'm here for it, Brendan. I would love to to be in that position. And again, you know, the Cubs picking up ground on the entire NL Central, obviously, this weekend. The Brewers dropping two of three to the San Francisco Giants, which is an interesting way to start the second half for them. But I want to transition to talking about Jason Hayward. We, we've yeah. talked about, you know, how good of an offensive season he's having, obviously, on pace for the best offensive season he's had as a Chicago Cub. But I... I I'm compelled to ask this just because I've, it's already been like, what, maybe 15 minutes or so since I brought up John Lester. And Way I did long. just want to ask you, do you think that Joe should be using him as a pinch hitter going forward as we move you know, further into the season? Would you like to see in certain situations John Lester come off the bench to pinch hit? I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. We just went over this, right? A 107 WRC+. plus. Just to point this out as a reference, Daniel Delscalso's weighted on base average of 250 is the exact same mark as John Lester's batting average, Corey. Okay? So the numbers speak for themselves. So there's a... And I gotta say, Lester's had his share of walk-offs, right? He's an excellent bunter. He'll put his socks up right by his knees like, you know, like I like. And he'll go and win the game. He's just a clutch performer. So, of course, yeah, sign me up for that. John Lester pinch hitting for the game? Absolutely. Well, there you go. Cubs front office, if you're listening, we just solved the position player depth problem. You've got the multi-two-way athlete on your team. The Shohei Otani of the National League. I was just going to say, dude, I was just going (laughs) to say, I'm not saying he's better than Shohei Otani, but maybe that's what I'm saying. But, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. So, I just wanted to interject there. That's not specifically a scenario we talked about as it related to John Lester's hitting, but the guys hitting oppo tanks, maybe just throw them up there. Like, and honestly, like I, I would be intrigued. The Cubs have some good hitting pitchers here. Obviously Q getting an RBI this weekend. Uh, but I would, even Hendricks has been pretty good this year. He's not been that great, but Hendricks has been pretty good. I would not hate like a Cubs productions video of Lester and Chatwood specifically, 
taking BP. Even Hamels, dude. Hamels has a good swing as well. Yeah, but like Chadwood hits ropes every time he, he's up there. And yeah, so he's probably the best. I just yeah. would, I wouldn't hate seeing those guys like do like a pitcher's home run derby. I know even saying that I can hear you worrying about them getting hurt. In, in such a scenario, I can feel it through the microphone that you're like, well, no, I, I, I don't like that idea. We don't need to be doing that. But I'm just well, after, you know, after we win the World Series this year, we can do that. How about okay, that? Mid-November, that home run like derby for the pitchers. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, that sounds like a good way to celebrate a pitcher's home run derby in like the cold November uh, night at Wrigley Field. Actually, maybe we shouldn't do that if it's going to be that cold. You I, t- I, I it told you, there was no, there's really no scenario where you're going <laughs> to sign up for this. We, we we all know better than to think that you <laughs> could have fun with something like that. But Can't do it, I understand. Sorry. Anyway, again, all I'm saying is John Lester is a really good hitter, multi-tool athlete, and he's just putting it on display. So we'll maybe we'll check in again with John Lester in another 15 minutes. We'll see how, how this episode goes. We'll see if I think of anything else I want to say about John Lester. But th- I, I think that's, that's where we are for now. But I, I want to move to Hayward. And he, from just an anecdotal perspective, just like a, an eye test perspective, he looks different this year. And he's been one of those guys, especially since he came over to the Cubs, who has been talked about in this regard a billion times, right? But this time, there there are periods where it feels different. And, and it has happened in all of these years, really, where you're looking at him going, okay, this is a good stretch. Like, yeah, I like what he's doing in this series or that series, but then it, it dissipates and whatever. This has been a really sustained period, and it's really been the entire 2019 season where it, it, from an eye test level and the numbers that we'll get into in a minute here back this up, he's really making good contact on the ball. He, he's going the other way a lot. He looks very confident up there. And he just feels like he's ripping the cover off the ball. And and it feels different than what we have seen from him. And when you look at the overall numbers, they, they do bear a lot of this out. He has a 114 WRC plus with a 347, excuse me, a 115 WRC plus with a 349 weighted on base average, a 275, 359, 474 average on base slugging slash line. And the WRC plus and WOBA numbers specifically would be the best of his career, but also that entire slash line, not, not the best of his career, his Cubs career, his entire right. slash line, it would be the best batting average of his Cubs career, the best on base percentage and slugging of his Cubs career. He already has set his Cubs personal record for home runs. He's already driven in 38 runs this year, which puts him on pace to drive in more runs than he ever has as a Chicago Cub. So this entire season, Brendan, has just been been a real resurgence for him and like honestly again just from like a personal me watching the games perspective you just feel differently about him when he comes up I think in these years past when the Cubs would build a rally and Rizzo would get on base or Javi would double you you were kind of well we'll see what happens with Hayward right maybe it's a, a day where he's hitting well maybe it's one of those days where he's rolling over to second base or popping up a lot but right now you, you kind of are in a place where you're like okay hell yeah Hayward's up like he's gonna he's gonna do something here like he's gonna rip the ball and it's really 
crazy, I, I think. Not not crazy, because I, I think, you know, you and I specifically were big fans of the signing and, and believed in him as an offensive player, you know, when he came over to the Cubs. But to be in a place where you're just really confident in him and you see him, like yeah. in that game on Friday, coming through in these clutch situations, hitting a go-ahead home run on Sunday, like, it just feels like all of these conversations, all of these you know, early trips to Mesa and the extra work and the changes of the swing, it really feels like 2019 is the year where it is all coming together. It's all coming to fruition and you're seeing the results of it. Yeah. And everything too that we're seeing is like building off a feel like from last season where he still had a decent year for an average player, right? Like even in 2018, he had a WRC plus of 99, basically league average, a weighted on base average 319, a batting average of 270. The issue with him in 2018 was the power, right? So his his home run total was only eight. He's at 14, as you said right now, in 341 plate appearances. So the power is more prominent for Hayward. And if you look at some of the underlying numbers as well, his launch angle is better. So his launch angle against fastballs is 33% better than it was last season. So he's lifting the ball a little bit more. But forget the stats for a second. Like you're saying, anecdotally, just looking at his plate appearances, he feels different. It feels like more tangibly better quality contact. And I think like you, when he comes up, yeah, I'm feeling confident about Hayward and he's going to the opposite field with authority that one base hit to win the game on Friday. You saw it right there. And the confidence in the mindset that he brings, it does have a consequential effect for the rest of the team. Of course, we know what happened in 2016, but even quotes like that on Sunday, where players respect this guy a lot. And when Chris Bryant was interviewed after the game on Sunday, you know, he talked about Hayward and how those types of at-bats, just talking to him, guys get together in the batting cages and whatnot, they talk about these types of different approaches. And I do think Hayward's noticeably different approach this year, too. He's taking his more walks. He's walking 12% of his plate appearances compared to 8% last year. He's doing things on a amplified level than what we're used to seeing even, even with St. Louis. So this is the player the Cubs signed in 2016. This is exactly what they wanted to see. They wanted to see quality defense. They wanted to see a guy who has power potential, who hasn't really tapped into that. Right now, he's on pace for over 22 home runs. That would be his best mark since, what is this, since 2012. That's crazy, Corey. That's seven seasons. And he's doing this all after three straight years of disappointing offensive numbers. So for him to come back, work his butt off, and I, look, you and I, we we gave up on Hayward. We, we, we did several times. We never let ourselves truly believe, even during those hot stretches in 2017, 2018, that he would be back. And I'm eating crow for it. But this is a guy who's going to continue to work, continue to have a positive mindset, focus on that game one game at a time, and deal with whatever criticism criticism comes his way. But at the end of the day right now, his isolated power is 191, 14 home runs, a 347 weighted on base average, and he's playing phenomenal defense. He had a great catch in right field, a sliding catch. He's playing center field now too. You can't ask more from Hayward right now. And he's been a huge reason why the Cubs have been in this division because of his consistent play when the rest of the team has just not been consistent. Yeah, no doubt. It's huge. And it really is somewhat of a parallel, I think, to the Darvish situation where it's one of those things where 
we over time have gotten kind of resigned to the idea of okay well you know this is kind of what this guy is it's not exactly what we had envisioned when we signed him but there are times where you forget like if they return to that or get close to that like this is what the Cubs envisioned for this situation. They didn't envision Jason Hayward being a defensive first guy. They divi- they envisioned him being an all-around threat on at the plate, on the bases, and in the field. And that's what you're seeing. And it totally transforms the offense. Kind of like I was saying with Darvish. It's like we've gotten somewhat resigned to, well, you know, we'll take it day by day. His command might be there. I don't know. If he turns it on, he can be one of the best pitchers in the league. Like, that's what's hiding in the Cubs rotation, right? Like, that's what you have the potential to unearth. And I don't know that Hayward is going to be one of the best hitters in the league, but he can be one of the most overall valuable players that, you know, in the National League, certainly just with everything that he's able to do on the baseball field, if he's able to keep up a performance like this at the plate. And you just look at some of these numbers and and they really bear it out. Like looking at the StatCast data, this would be his highest barrel rate since they started tracking this, I believe, in 2015. The the yeah. only other year that it was anywhere close to this, it's at 5% right now, it was at 4.1% in 2017. And you look at his average exit velocity, this would be the highest of his, you know, since 2015 when this date is available from StatCast. So those types of things, those numbers do bear that out, that he's making better contact and that what we're seeing from an eye test level is for real. what's happening behind the scenes. And it, it is very exciting. And again, as we've said before, whether or not Brendan and I were always confident this was going to happen, we certainly were not. There's literally, you know, there's an archive of our audio that would that would prove otherwise. So I, I can't... I'm going to go delete that right yeah, now. Yeah, I, I can't sit here and say <laughs> that that's true. But we've always been quick to point out that it couldn't be happening to someone who deserves it more. He has put in this work, and he has never once not been a good teammate, not been the, the first guy to put in the extra work, to say the right things, to pick up his teammates when there's an opportunity to do that. Obviously, I don't think I need to tell you all about the speech he gives during Game 7 of the World Series, which... In which the Cubs won. Yes, thank you, Brendan, for clearing that up. I know a lot of people get very confused about that. The Cubs did win the 2016 World Series, and Jason Hayward's speech, uh, as as we're told, plays a a very big role in that, in the weight room of the locker room of Progressive Field. But that's just the type of person that he has been for this team. And I think there are countless examples in sports where you see a guy on a bigger contract, the performance goes in the tank, and so does their personality, so does their their ability to be a good teammate and a leader, and that is the opposite of what we have seen with, with Jason Hayward. And I, like, obviously most of the time players say nice things about their teammates, but I would really have to think, Brendan, and I, I, don't, I, I would think you would agree with me. I don't know that I remember in my Cubs lifetime that many guys that everybody you ask speaks so highly about. Every single person, whether it's players, coaches, front office members, broadcasters, interviewers, they all say that Jason Hayward is the most upstanding teammate and person and professional that they deal with on a day-to-day basis. So to see him having it all come together and, and 
really playing a big role in this team like the Cubs envision when they signed him is really exciting. And, and I think it's just one of those things where as we're all fans of this team, it's just got to make you feel good. Like he's, it's just one of those stories where you're like, man, I'm really happy that this is happening for this particular guy. Now, with Schwarber and Hayward both having some success recently, there's been some suggestions that you want to flip the two. Mm-hmm. Where you have Hayward leading off and you have Schwarber batting fifth or sixth, depending where they put Contreras. Where are you on that? Like, for me, I kind of like the feel of how it is right now with Schwarber batting leadoff and Hayward batting six. But there are times, especially with Schwarber's different plate approach with being more aggressive, where I am thinking, huh, maybe it does make more sense to put Hayward at the leadoff spot and then put Schwarber in a more run-producing spot. So with that being said, I think I'm inching towards changing that mindset and for a few matchups, right? Kind of seeing where Hayward would do in a leadoff spot. The Cubs have been kind of connected to other players outside the organization, as Bruce Miles noted today, with 670 to score, that the Cubs might be looking for a leadoff hitter. Mm-hmm. Where are you, Corey? Are you wanting Hayward to stay where he is? Do you want him to go to the leadoff spot? Well, firstly, I get very scared by that language. I just want to point that out. The the, the Cubs looking for a leadoff hitter scares me. There's obviously guys... You saw that Gordon name? (laughs) Yeah, it's just like... That's not going to happen. The the prototypical definition of a, quote, leadoff hitter is a scary proposition, right? We all lived through the Juan Pierre era here, and like that's the first thing that I think of. I had a a Juan Pierre uh, jersey. You You know, it's your podcast. You don't have to admit stuff like that. No, I'm just, you know, I'm being transparent here. I was <laughs> right. like, what? I was like 12, 13 years old at the time, whatever that was, 2006, yeah. whatever it was. Okay. I was actually, I was a little bit too old. I'm just old saying, to you don't have actually. to throw yourself under the bus like that. I definitely I'm didn't sorry. own a Juan Pierre or anything. So i not. What was the say worst that. jersey you ever owned? Mark DeRosa. That's not a bad one. Well, I'm Isn't just saying that's probably the, the worst. Is, is Juan Pierre or Ryan Terrio worse? For me, Ryan Terrio, but if we're looking at the actual on, data, Corey. it's it's Come not. On, I know that. Corey. You know how I feel about that, and I'm going to speak to you off the air about you bringing Woba up his name. 2008, Corey, Ryan Terrio, one of the best shortstops in the league that year, but we'll continue. This will be the last episode of the Cubs-related podcast. And the solo but, editions of the Cubs-related yeah. podcast. <laughs> so getting back to the issue at hand, again, obviously there there's some legit candidates. You're going to keep hearing Whit Merrifield's name come up, and I think he's someone who, if we're talking leadoff options, okay, I'm interested, right? But, but I just get scared much, you know? by I just get scared by whatever that means to, to anybody because like what this team doesn't need is someone that can't hit for average or get on base but that's fast or something like that like that is not what this team needs but as it relates to like Schwarber at the leadoff and like Hayward in particular the I think that Schwarber's been kind of all over the place as as the leadoff hitter, and and I really like the thinking behind it. I like the the, the merits that he brings there, but I guess to me, what I'm I've been thinking a lot lately, his numbers over the last thirty games or so aren't great. He's got like a seven eighty four OPS with just a three oh two on base percentage, which is lower than his kind of like career norms and his overall uh, on base percentage for just the 2019 season. I I kind of am inclined to think like maybe he would be better suited in that middle portion of the order and you just let him yeah. hit and and you don't have him worrying about starting the game, seeing pitches, taking those walks, like just go up there and try to do what you did on Sunday, right? Which is to deposit the ball as close to the street as you possibly can. Yeah. And 
maybe that's not something he's dealing with. You'd have to ask him. But obviously, being the leadoff hitter starting this game, there is something to at least that first at bat where you are thinking a bit differently than just go up and hit, get your pitch, and smash it, right? But he's also one of those guys who, as we note a lot, he makes really good contact. His expected numbers are better than the results he gets because he's heavily shifted and, and just doesn't have that ability to go the other way in, in the way that he would need to to change that shift. So part of that is like, okay, well, maybe the results aren't there, but his process seems to be pretty good a, a lot of the time. So with Hayward, though, the only thing I would say, again, I think it's it's similar in merit where you're like, yes, he, he's hitting for a, you know, a better average right now. He takes walks. He gets on base. He sees pitches. He has long at-bats. He's a good base runner. He would be a good guy to have on in front of Javi, KB, Rizzo, Wilson, etc. The only thing I would say with Jason is you've finally got him going in the way that you want him to, to the point that he's kind of a a decidedly above average league hitter right now. I would just worry about messing with that. And maybe he would even thrive more in the leadoff spot. You never know, right? It doesn't have to be a negative, but I would just worry like he's doing some really great things in, in the middle of that order right now. He seems very stable there. I would just be concerned that now moving him to the top and having him start these games, does that change the way that he's been going? And again, it could go the other way, but that would just be one thing I would think. You've got him going. He's been very productive for this offense. Maybe let's just leave that alone. I I, I think like others, I've entertained the idea of Chris being the leadoff hitter. No, I'd see. I don't like that. I I, I didn't say that that I did. I'm just saying it's out there. No, I don't like. And I, look, I get the argument with Chris Bryant too, with with the plate approach. He's the best hitter on the team. You want Bryant up there with the most opportunities with men on base. The Cubs have several hitters who are more than capable of batting leadoff or being ahead of Chris Bryant. But I'm not. I, I'm never going to put myself in that position where mentally I'm thinking Chris Bryant at leadoff. You're going to lose so many opportunities where his bat is most valuable. And even he himself said. When he was batting second, he was pressing when guys were in runners when runners were in scoring position because those opportunities were too few from what he's used to playing in. So I I I don't like that. Uh, that's that's one pause. We're going to put up a full stop sign. Don't like it. But with just to finish off the the thought here, as we're talking out loud, which usually this happens to me, but I do think it makes more sense to put Hayward in the leadoff spot right now, just because. Like Evan Allman of CubsInsider.com has written about exhaustively and justifiably is that Schwarber's on-base percentage and his walk rate as the leadoff hitter is kind of ironically and surprisingly not what you would expect. Mm-hmm. He's walking around 6% of the time. And when Madden was talking with Schwarber, he, you know, it, it's hard to to balance the aggressiveness versus the the laying off some of those pitches. And so he was talking about that like we were saying. I do think Hayward's skill set and just his ability to work counts like we've seen not only this year, but in years past, maybe that plays better. And with Schwarber and his power potential, maybe that is better down in the order. And I think, I don't know. I just, there's been times and stretches with Schwarber where I'm not thrilled with his, with his plate approach at the leadoff position. And outside of this recent series, I was genuinely wondering if not only would the Cubs 
remove Schwarber from the leadoff spot, but would they give someone else in addition to Hayward an opportunity? But the fact that they're both playing well in the second half, if I'm going to make the lineup bow, which is a scary thought, I think I would put Hayward in that leadoff spot just because, again, the consistency, Schwarber's extreme differences in plate approach throughout the entire season. If we're talking about which of the two is going to change their approach at the leadoff spot, I'm more concerned that Schwarber is going to change the most than Hayward. I feel like Hayward's more of the 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 consistent approach type guy given his track record. So that's that's where I, I will leave it at that. Uh, but look, the Cubs swept the Pirates. They are on a roll here. Seven games above 500, two and a half games up in the division, and they will welcome the Cincinnati Reds to Wrigley Field on Monday. The first game of which is at 7.05 p.m. Central Time, and you can get tickets to this game and the rest of the series. The Cubs' second half is well underway, and there's no better place to get tickets than on SeatGeek. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Speaking of being there in person, SeatGeek asked baseball fans from all 30 teams all across the country, which stadiums have the best experience? From the food to the traffic, they ranked it all. Want to know where you can see your team rank? Check them out at www.seekgeek.com backslash stadium guides and find out what fans said about the Cubs. But whether your team ranked high or low, make sure to get out to a game this season with SeatGeek. And to help you even save more on tickets, our listeners, you guys, get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CUBSRELATED today. That's promo code CUBSRELATED for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. So on Monday, Kyle Hendricks takes the mound against the Reds ace, Luis Castillo. Castillo, 8-3 with a 2.29 ERA. Hendricks, 7-7 with a 3.49 ERA. On Tuesday, another night game, a 7.05 p.m. Central start time. Alec Mills takes the mound for his 2019 Cubs debut. Been pitching very well in Iowa. As uh, Brian Smith of Cup Prospects and Bleacher Nation noted, Mills was showcasing a 65-mile-per-hour curveball. Seemed to be new for him, so maybe we'll see some of that in his Cubs debut on Tuesday. He'll be facing uh, Anthony Del Scalfani for the Reds, who is 5-4 with a a 4.26 ERA. On Wednesday, to finish off this three-game series, we'll have... uh, Yu Darvish back on the mound, who's 2-4 and four with a 4.72 ERA. He'll be facing Sonny Gray, who's also having a good year for the Reds. 5-5 five and five with a 3.42 ERA to give the complete picture of the NL Central. Like I said, the Cubs are in first place, two and a half games up of the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers are not playing well. They did not win a series against the Giants. They stand at 48-46, and 46, two and a half back. The Cardinals, 46-45, three back. The Pirates, 44-48, five and a half back. The Reds, 42-48, six and a half back. And right now, the Cubs have an excellent opportunity to not only put the Pirates back, but to put the Reds back in the cellar of the division as well. What I'm looking for this series, uh, three most notable topics. I think number one is you Darvish in that last game. Number two is Kyle Hendricks, seeing how he performs off that shorter outing before the All-Star break, coming back from shoulder inflammation. And number three, where we see that leadoff spot. I do think the discussion will be made a little bit more prominent, whether or not to put Hayward up top and just seeing consistent clean baseball. That was the first series in, in a long time. Not only did the Cubs win, but they did so winning cleanly. Clean defense, clean base running, clean approaches, perseverance, 
good outings from the starters. That's what you want to see. So among the three players I'm looking for and the leadoff position, I just continuing to see the Cubs play to their capability, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. And I and we, we gotta get Darvish that W. It it's happening yeah. in this it's series. Ha- this is the one. This we gotta it. do this. Yep. He 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 earned it the other day and didn't get it because the Cubs scored an inning too late. We we gotta get it against these Reds. And and this will be an interesting series. You know, the the, the Reds are are a, a sneaky team and you're getting some good pitchers from them in this series. So this is uh going to be an interesting series here. But I think you're right. Just just keep th- this was the brand of baseball that we want to see this team play, and and you can certainly continue to make moves uh, around the edges here. We, I, you know, they're obviously going to keep looking at this stuff as we head toward the trade deadline, moving some of these position players around, moving some of these bullpen pieces around. But this is the brand of baseball that this team should be playing on a daily basis, and it should be getting them better results than we saw toward the end of that second uh, first half. So I think, obviously, this Pittsburgh series was a really great way to start for this team, and I, I don't really have anything specific I'm looking for in this series other than just keep this brand of baseball up. This brand of baseball, if they made no changes, the the Cubs should be the best team in this division and they should be playing baseball that I think looks a lot like we saw this weekend. That that doesn't mean I'm expecting them to sweep every series they play, but the the last <laughs> yeah, right. The the last <laughs> series that they had won prior to this weekend was that June like seventh through ninth series with the Cardinals. That's too long for a Is team. That that sweep? Yeah, against the Cardinals. Okay. Uh, th- yeah, 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 this yeah. team that is too long for for the talent level of this team. And as we continue to say, like you are getting a career best season from Chris Bryant. You are getting a Cubs best season from Jason Hayward. Rizzo's doing his thing. Wilson Contreras has been one of the best hitters in baseball the entire season, especially at the catcher position. Javi's putting up another big season. Like you're getting big performances from these guys. The results should be better, and we saw that in the, in this three game series with the Pirates. But before I sign off here. I'm going to bookend this with one last John Lester note. And there this is. is from our later. friend of the podcast, Christopher Comka from NBC Chicago. And he points out that John Lester is the first Cubs pitcher with two hits, with one of those hits, including a home run since August 1st of 2017, when John Lester did it before. That is where we will leave you on this glorious weekend of Cubs baseball. As I tweeted out on my personal Twitter at CF Cubs Related, Brendan is at Cubs Related for reference. I tweeted this out death, taxes, and the second half Chicago Cubs. Those are the constants in our world. Let's keep it rolling here at Wrigley Field against the Cincinnati Reds. And Brendan and I will be back to talk with you, hopefully, after another series win. And I hope, everybody, it it will be the first topic. Obviously, I I don't know what's going to happen in this series, but I'd like it to be the first topic. (laughs) I really hope that we start this next podcast talking about you, Darvish, picking up the W at Wrigley Field. That is what I want to be doing in a few days here, and that is what I want you guys to be listening to. But as always, as we start this second half, we appreciate you guys sticking with us. Obviously, you know, the Cubs off for several days there during the All-Star break, so glad to be back talking about games and 
having you guys listening. As always, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, I, I will say I'm I'm fairly uh, flattered at the amount of tweets and well-being checks that I received after John Lester hit that home run. Uh, it's very nice to hear from you all. Uh, that's pretty good proof that a lot of you guys are listening and, and paying attention to the podcast, so that's pretty cool. So we appreciate that. Uh, as always, we appreciate your listenership and the five-star reviews that we still see on the Apple Podcast Store. If you haven't done that, we would appreciate it. I still have absolutely no idea what it does for us, but everybody says it matters, so we would appreciate if you you know, had a minute or 30 seconds to spare, if you would go to the Apple Podcast app and give us five stars and a comment. But otherwise, we will talk to you after the Cubs finish up with the Reds, and whether the Cubs are sweeping the dirtbag pirates out of Wrigley Field or welcoming the Cincinnati Reds, as always, go Cubs.